We'll look at 2 Samuel chapter 4 today. Came up with a really creative title today. One out of uh, one every year. Uh, Drawing straight lines with crooked sticks, which I stole from someone else. Um, I I saw it somewhere. It it fit well. So so we'll look at uh, this chapter today. Uh, let's let's pray first, and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love for us that we can experience in our lives because of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak to us through your word at this time, help us to receive your word, and uh, embrace it within our hearts. And uh, help us to follow you, trusting what you're doing in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So we have um, this Sunday and then next Sunday and then uh, in two weeks we have our annual fall revival coming up um, on the 8th, 8th and 9th of November. And I just want to encourage you to set that time aside in your calendar very special time that we have. And, uh, you know, before revival and before retreat, things like that, we begin to introduce some of the new songs that we're going to sing. And uh, that's why we sang a new song today. And um, I think it's going to be really exciting. It's gonna, God's going to do good things through revival. So I want to encourage you to come out for that. Okay, so talk more about that later. Um, I want to look at this chapter, and uh, right after this, this is chapter 4, right after this in chapter 5 is when David actually um, takes a throne. So that long journey to the throne finally comes to, a, comes to an end, and he actually sits on the throne all of, over all of Israel. But before that, one last thing has to happen, and that's this account in chapter 4. Um, Passage is not as long as the previous chapters that we've covered, but again, we're just going to go through it as we go through the sermon. Okay, so first, the betrayal. The betrayal, verse 1. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. Okay, so if you remember, Abner was the commander of Saul's army, and he, after Saul's death, led the opposition against David by setting, a, setting Ishbosheth as king. So he was, Abner was uh, kind of leading the charge in the north, and Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was set up as king of Israel. Abner is now dead. You remember in the last chapter, he was murdered by Joab. It was a revenge killing for the sake of his brother. And it says now, because Abner is dead, Ishbosheth lost his courage. So a lot of people in Israel, in the north, were probably asking the same question. What's going to happen now? Because there's obviously no hope for their cause after Abner's death, after uh, their leader is gone, their real leader is gone. And that's why Israel was dismayed. 
so they're probably wondering, like, what if David now comes and, and uh, invades us, destroys us? What should we do now? Verse 2, now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Banna, and the name of the other, Rechab, sons of Ramon, a man of Benjamin from Beeroth. So now, the author introduces us to these two new characters in the story, Bana and Rechab. They were men in the service of Ishbosheth. So, and the author also tells us that these men were from Ishbosheth's own tribe, Benjamin. And that's important because these two men end up killing Ishbosheth. And the author is telling us that they were not David's men. They were not from David's tribe. That these men came up with this scheme on their own and betrayed Ishbosheth. Verse 4 Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when, his, when news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, this seems like some random interjection in the story, but this also is important to know because the author is telling us that this is the only now, um, after Ishbosheth dies, this is the only surviving male of Saul's house who happens to be too young and physically not able to be king. So the author tells us this to say that now the path is clear for David to take the throne. Verse 5, now the sons of Ramon the Berethite, Rechab and Bena, set out. About the heat of the day, they came to the house of Ishbosheth as he was taking his noonday rest. They came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bena's brother escaped. So think about this. All Israel is dismayed because Abner's dead. They know that their future is not bright. So these two men decide to take a preemptive approach. Right? So again, like, what if David invades us? What's going to become of us? So they're asking, like, how can we gain an advantage when David does overtake us? And they come up with this plan. Basically, deliver the head of Ishbosheth. To David. So these were obviously very opportunistic people for the sake of a better tomorrow for themselves. They come up with this plan to betray their leader, to kill Ishbosheth. Now, um, at this point, I just want to pause and think about this here because these men, these two men, were in the service of Ishbosheth. When they when they thought Ishbosheth was the future, they served him. But when the political current changed, they turned against him. So there were people who were supposed to be loyal to Ishbosheth under his service, but they end up betraying him. Um, the reason why I want to kind of think about this because I find this dynamic to be very interesting because it's a very common human experience. Um, there were probably some circumstantial things that these two men could point to and say Ishbosheth didn't handle that well. For example, Ishbosheth 
could have handled his relationship with Abner better, right? Like he offended Abner. You shouldn't have done that. You should have shown more respect for him. You should have been a better leader. And for those reasons, you're not qualified to be the king. So they could have thought all those things, and that's why uh, we should get rid of him for the good of the nation. They could have thought those things, but the real reason they betrayed him was that they wanted to advance politically. The bottom line was that they wanted something that Ishbosheth could not provide. So the real issue was in their own hearts. Now, this is important to realize because, remember I said, this is common, this is a common human experience. This is true in any conflict. So I want to ask you to do this. Like, think about the people that you're in conflict with now. <clears throat> Even at this moment in your life, think about the people that you're in conflict with now. Even if you, okay, if you have no one that you're in conflict with now, think about the most recent conflict. <laughs> so do you have that situation in your mind? you have that person in your mind? Now, um, as you think about that situation, as you think about that conflict, as you think about that person, what would you say if you had to fill the rest of, rest of this sentence where the sentence starts with you? You... As you think about this situation, you something, like what would you say? You are so, you did something. You didn't do something. So in those conflict situations, you can, you can fill in the blank. You, right? And then you can fill in the rest. Now, I want you to turn that around, same situation, but turn it around. The reason why I'm upset is because I, right? So now this sentence starts with I. I, what? I wanted you to fill in the rest because I expected you to because I felt hurt when you, again, from the rest. You see, the real reason I feel this way about you is because of the stuff that's going on in my own heart. We can point to people, criticize them for this and that. You're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, but the real issue is often in my own heart. See, these two men... Use Ishbosheth's shortcomings really as an excuse to justify what they want in their hearts. It's because they wanted to advance. And he was getting in the way. That ultimately leads to betrayal and murder. So do that exercise in small group, please. Because that's a very common human dynamic that we experience all the time where we blame circumstances, where we blame people, we point our fingers when the real issues are in our own hearts. I remember when I was a, a young pastor and some older people used to warn me about some of the dangers of pastoral ministry. And they said, they said, there are people that you're going to encounter who will eat with you 
Okay, so there are people you're encountering in your life and your ministry who will eat with you and then turn around and backstab you. So meaning, like, they'll be all smiles. When, when they're sitting with you at the table, across the table with you eating, they'll be all smiles. But then they'll go somewhere else and then say all kinds of things about you. Another thing that people told me, and this is kind of like a, it's, it's, it's kind of like an imagery in Korean, but then I'll translate it like the, it, Basically, they said, like, it's the people who carry your briefcase um, who will kick you to the curb later. So it sounds better in Korean, but uh, basically it's kind of like um, uh, the meaning behind that is, like, you know, like Korean pastors, especially like they used to carry, I don't know if they, a lot of Korean pastors, they, they carry briefcase to church, you know. Um, and so they're saying there, there are people, right, in your church that, that act like your supporters. It might even be your deacon or your elders. Right? You come to your church in your briefcase, and then this is the, the person who says, oh, oh, Moksanim. You know, that's like the, the senior pastor in Korean. Oh, Moksanim. And then they take your briefcase. Oh, let me carry that for you. And then they, they carry it to the church for you. Oh, let me serve you. And then they're saying it's those very people that, who knows, 10 years, 20 years later, will turn their back on you and, and, uh, and betray you, kick you to the curb. That's why leaders are in a very vulnerable position. As a leader, you have to work together with people. You need to care for your people, so you invite them in, close to your life. But at the same time, you don't really know who your allies are. You don't really know who your allies are because everyone looks as, everyone's smiling as we're eating together. You don't really know because you don't know, you don't really know what's in a person's heart. You don't know who will turn on you 20 years later. That's why loyal and trustworthy people are an incredible blessing to a leader. Now, when you hear this, um, the point is not for you to, like, look suspiciously at your friends. You know, like, you got, you got three roommates, and you're thinking, like, which of these roommates are going to, like, stab me in the back second semester this year? That's not the point. The point is, you be a loyal person. You be the kind of person who will be loyal through thick and thin. And especially in the church, don't be one of those briefcase-carrying people. Don't be one of those people who divide the church. The betrayal. Um, secondly, and I only have two points um, today. <laughs> secondly, the Lord who redeems. Verse 7, uh, when they came into the house, as he lay in the bed, in his bed, in his bedroom, he struck him, uh, they struck him, and put him to death and beheaded him. They took his head, went by the way of the Arabah all night, brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and they said to the king, here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my Lord the King this day on Saul and on his offspring. Uh, commentator Dr. Robert Vinoy calls this a shrewdly designed statement. They probably thought long and hard about what they're going to say when they finally meet David. And this is what they came up with. 
the Lord has avenged my Lord the king this day on Saul and on his offspring. They're saying that what they did in killing Ishbosheth was an act sanctioned by God, which was not the case. And they're also assuming that David wanted to avenge himself for the ways that Saul mistreated him, which was also not the case. The words that they present to David reveal a very common worldly perspective, right? This is how it would normally work in all other earthly kingdoms. Of course, a new king will want to eliminate all remnants of the previous king. That's why these men come with Ishbosheth's head expecting to be rewarded. Any other king would have thanked them, celebrated their courage with a reward. But that's not how David responds. Verse 9, but David answered Rechab and Benna, his brother, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. When one told me, behold, Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him as Ziglag, which was a reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not require his blood at your hand and destroy you? from the earth, and he executes these two men. David meets them with unexpected words, basically words that show his trust in God. David says, the Lord who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. And of course, David wasn't perfect. We've seen that even in our studies so far. He didn't always have this attitude, but here he does. What these men presented David was not good news to him because David didn't stay up late at night worrying about Abner or Ishbosheth. He didn't feel the need to act against his enemies because he knew that his life was in the Lord's hands. I mean, think about what David is saying here. So this army is gathering in the north and is against him, and they're, they're in his way to the throne. They stood in his way. He's in this situation where he didn't know how things are going to work out. There's uncertainty in this situation. On top of that, it's not right what Abner's doing. It's not right what Ishbosheth is doing. So think about that situation. You ever feel like that? You're in a situation that's not good. It's not a favorable situation for you. There's uncertainty, right? You don't know how things are going to work out in this situation. And on top of that, you kind of feel like the victim because you feel like you've been wronged. In that kind of, in that predicament, here for David, there's no retaliation. There's no even bad-mouthing. David says, he is the Lord who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. We've seen this thought in previous passages too, but it's interesting that right after this passage, in chapter 5, that's when David becomes king over all Israel. So that means the final event that brought, that brought David to the throne, the last thing, the final event that brought David to the throne is a murder of an innocent man at the hands of wicked men. The betrayal and murder opens up the path for David to sit on the throne. Now, that's a, that's, a, that's a wondrous thing if we think about it. 
God works through human agents, right? So think about this. God works through human agents to accomplish his purposes in this world, right? Everything that God does in this world is through human agents. God works through human agents to accomplish his purposes in this world. But almost everything that human beings do in this world is sinful. Right? So that means human beings' sinful acts are vital components of how God accomplishes purposes in this world. Abner is murdered. Ishbosheth is murdered. And all of that is a part of the process that opens up the path for David to sit on the throne, which is the will of God. God's sovereign governance of the universe, right, includes everything that happens, even sinful things. His sovereign governance, the way that he orchestrates and works in the, in the, on earth and in the world and in the universe, it entails everything that happens because he is sovereign. But since human beings are sinful, even sinful events that happen all around us to us or caused by us are all a part of that thing that God is governing in this world. So that means how God orchestrates all the events in the world includes the execution of his plan in relation to sin. God is never responsible for causing sin, but he does act in various ways in relation to sin. I'll say four statements here. Um, God sometimes prevents sin. God sometimes permits sin. God sometimes limits sin. God sometimes directs sin. How God, I'll say it again, but how he works is in relation to sin. God is not stumbled and his plan does not stop because of sin how he works and orchestrates things in this world is in relation to sin. Sometimes he prevents sin, which he didn't do here, right? Sometimes he permits sin, right? The brothers kill Ishbosheth. God sometimes limits sin because like these men probably originally wanted to kill David himself, but God was not going to allow that. He limits to a certain boundary their, their sin. And God sometimes directs sin. God was using sin and brought David to the throne. Now, this is all important to realize because we personally get affected by the sins of other human beings all the time. And we personally affect other people by our sinful acts. But like we've been saying, that does not alter or hinder what God is doing in our lives. We can't come to a standstill because, oh, someone did that and that's not right and feel like the world's falling apart because it's not, because God is in control of everything. Sometimes I tell our younger kids a story before they go to sleep. Um, <coughs> no, I try, like, hey, how about today I just read you a Bible story, you know? Bible, because just, you know, Bible story is so exciting. They, they go, no. You have to make up a story. You have to make one up. 
And they like, there's so much pressure. They're like, and make it good. <laughs> so I got to come up with a good story off the top of my head. So, for example, I go, oh, once, a, once upon a time, there was a bird in the forest, right? And right there, one of them will stop me and go, no, I don't like that one. Tell us a better one. I go, what? Oh, you don't even know what the story's about. What do you mean tell you another one? Um, but they don't, I guess they don't like what's happening so far. There's a bird in the forest, and that's not the kind of story they want to hear. So tell us a different story. There's one time, there was so much pressure, I told um, my kids, how about you tell me a story instead? And uh, one of my kids, he goes, once upon a time, there was a daddy and a bear. And then the bear poo-pooed on daddy's head. And I go, hey, I don't like that story. And I asked him to tell me a different one. And in the second version, I got eaten by the bear. Uh, you see, <coughs> we're often like that. We're often just like that with God. Like, meaning, God is writing a story in each one of our lives. And at some point, we don't like where the story seems to be going. At some points in our lives, we don't like where that narrative seems to be headed. And so we demand for God to tell us a different story. But we forget that he's the God who draws straight lines with crooked sticks. He takes the messed up situations that are caused by sin, often our own sin, and draws straight redemptive lines. I mean, if you think about it, this story is much like the gospel story, isn't it? There's a betrayal that leads to murder. And the enthronement of the rightful king soon follows because of that murder. And that's what we see over and over again in the Bible, even culminating in the story of Jesus on the cross, because it is the Lord who redeems, the Lord who redeems, who is drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. That's the God who David trusted in, and it's that same God that we can trust in in our own lives, even in those parts of the story, when we don't necessarily like where the story seems to be headed. We trust in God because he is trustworthy. Um, I just want to basically... Uh, Conclude by talking about revival. Revival is in two weeks. And uh, <coughs> here's a, I'm going to tell you who our guest speaker is. So we basically have, um, let me put up the next slide. We have two main events during the school year, two main events that are like more, uh, I guess, like spiritually oriented, if you want to call it that. We have our revival in the fall semester. And then we have our retreat in the second semester. We have this event so that, basically so that God can become more real to us. So that our faith from wherever it is now can grow and develop and be nourished so that God can become more real to us as we meet with God, get blessed by God, experience God. 
Okay, so, so revival, you know, we'll worship, we'll hear from the Word of God, we'll pray together, we'll worship, and, um, and we, so we have that um, coming up in November, right, November 8th. And I want to encourage you to set that aside in your calendar. It's a Friday night, Saturday night, and of course, a Sunday service. But I want to encourage you to set that aside and come out to both nights of the event right? because um, I think it would be really good. Right? Like if you come out Friday, what if what, what if what God wanted to do in your life was Saturday and you didn't come Saturday and you missed it? Right? If you come Saturday, what if God wanted to do something incredible Friday? You know what I mean? So you just want to cover all the bases, come out both nights. I think it would be really good. Pastor Min Chung will be our guest speaker for this event. And um, <coughs> probably, uh, probably two people, two people probably most influential in my life. One is um, my, my father. Uh, obviously, a lot of things of who I am is because of him. And then secondly, I would say is, is Pastor Min. Probably almost, almost everything I know about ministry, I probably learned from Pastor Min. He's a pastor that, that did our wedding, um, and I'm not Pastor Aiden, so I'm not going to show my wedding picture, right? uh, but he's there in our wedding picture. He officiated our wedding. Uh, he baptized each of our four kids, um, and uh, I'm just really super excited to have him as our revival speaker, and he, he travels a lot all over the states, all over the world, basically, and speaks. And, um, but at some point this summer, this past summer, I kind of felt like, uh, I kind of felt like this was a good time to invite him to speak at our church. But for some reason, I didn't ask him immediately. Um, and then in August, during this one prayer time, um, I don't know, I just kind of felt like this was the right time to ask him. And so I texted him right there in that, in that prayer time. I texted him, I said, is your November 8th through 10 weekend by chance open to speak at our revival meeting? And then he immediately texted me back. He goes, wow, just wow, W-O-W, wow. And then his next text said, I was supposed to go to Kenya, but just got canceled. Then he goes, I'd be honored to be there. And then I go, oh, awesome. <laughs> So he's going to be our speaker, and I'm super excited about it. Um, as I think about revival and prepare for revival, I feel like this revival is going to be really good. Maybe good for our church. I think it would be really good. But uh, just mostly I feel like we need to get ready. Like we need to be prepared and get ready for the things that God wants to do. And so for that reason, to be better prepared for God wants to do in our lives through this revival, I, I, want, to, I want to ask you, um, to do one thing, okay? Um, so we have two weeks, right, before revival meeting. I want to ask you to come out to morning prayer in those two weeks. Um, this back, the back space right there, that room where we have fellowship, that space is open between 7 and 8 a.m. for prayer. Um, and, you know, there's someone here that comes at 7, opens up the church, and uh, it's just kind of like free um, there's no program. You can come with your Bible, 
and just you know pray uh, and meet with God. And I want to ask you to do that uh, in the next upcoming two weeks, just to prepare ourselves for the revival meeting. We'll also open up uh, Trinity up in Arden Hills at that same time for those who live up north, like Jesse and Sony. Come and pray over there. <laughs> and uh, so let's really prepare the next two weeks and ask that God would do amazing things at the revival meeting this year. Let's pray together. Perhaps there are some conflicts that we're going through, different situations that is not favorable to us, things that are happening in our lives that we don't like, to, and we might be tempted to point at circumstances, point at people, and feel like uh, um, it's this person's fault or it's this circumstance's fault. Uh, how about we start the sentence with I and look into our own hearts? And examine the unmet desires and expectations that's causing us to feel like that and repent so that we can have a different perspective because uh, uh, in Christ, if God is for us, who can be against us? In all the parts of the story where we don't like what's happening, we want to skip to the next page, we want to skip to the next chapter, but God says, this is an essential part what I'm writing in the next chapter. We're all crooked sticks. We're uh, causing this mess and that mess in our lives and the lives of others. But he's a redeeming God. And he's drawing a beautiful picture that culminates in a way that glorifies God and exalts his name. And so, Let's hope in that. Let's trust in that promise and uh, surrender our situations and even the, the desires of our hearts to him at this time. Let's pray for a moment before we close the song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for all the things that you're doing in our lives currently and the things that you've promised to do that you're working for our good in all situations. Thank you that you are with us and you are for us. Help us to trust in you with all of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. So we pray together that uh, God would just tremendously bless you at the revival meeting in two weeks. And let's pray for just the heart that prepares and eagerly seeks after the Lord's blessings. Let's pray for that for yourself, for your roommates, for your small group, for our church. We pray together for that and then I'll close our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you. Uh, we acknowledge that you are sovereign God, creator of the world, in control of everything. And in your good providence, you're directing all the affairs of this universe, governing, governing according to your good purposes to accomplish your, uh, your good plan in this world, in our lives, for the purpose of exalting the name of Jesus Christ. Even as we hear about all the disturbing events that are happening in this world, and even just uh, again another recent shooting out in Pittsburgh, just pray, Lord, and trust in you that through all these uh, crooked lines that are uh, that are that seems to be so pervading the world, 
to trust in you, that you are in control, and that you are saving people, and that you are bringing order out of disorder, and that you are fulfilling and applying the purpose for which Jesus died on the cross. And God, we pray that you would help us to acknowledge that and even in our own hearts, help us to take responsibility in our own hearts to uh, repent of our own crooked lines and invite you to come and invade our hearts and accomplish your purpose in us first. Thank you, Lord. Anticipate great things that you will do at Revival. Pray that you would help us to seek you with all of our hearts and and even through the next two weeks, help us to love you more and trust in you and give ourselves to you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his incredible unchanging covenant love, the love of the Father God, and fellowship, and strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and